The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams The podcast versions of the original Facebook Live readings during the coronavirus outbreak by Matthew Ogden, The Bearded Wit Please bear in mind that as Facebook Live recordings, these are rough and ready, there are mistakes, there are a few trip-ups here and there, and there is laughter from the reader as he goes through and follows the humour himself along with you, the listener. We hope you enjoy listening to these and share liberally. Part 30 Before we begin, I'd like to ask you to seriously consider becoming a patron of The Bearded Wit by going to patreon.com forward slash The Bearded Wit. You can support me from as little as $5 a month, which is essentially a cup of coffee, uh, and that will mean that I will be able to continue producing this material and other podcasts that I do, and it would mean the world to me to have you um, know that you're, you've got my back on this. Uh, I love producing this material for people, and it's been a huge pleasure for me to do this, uh, which basically started as a project for family and friends right back at the beginning of March last year uh, when the um, COVID-19 virus was really beginning to kick in. It was a way of basically connecting friends and family all over the world who were finding it a bit difficult as we all did and it's grown into something where I've got a lot of people listening all over the world. It would mean the world to me if you could take the time just to pop over to uh, patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit, sign up from as little as five dollars a month, as I say uh, it's a cup of coffee. It would mean the world to me because the more of you guys, you fabulous people out there that do it, the more I'm able to do more of this stuff for you on an ongoing basis. No obligation, but if you can, I would be so deeply grateful. Also, if you could take a moment to pop over to Facebook and uh, give The Bearded Wit a like and follow, uh, and also go over to my new YouTube channel as well, um, just search for The Bearded Wit, uh, and subscribe. Uh, I'll be putting all of the live readings slightly edited um, and cleaned up a bit uh, onto that uh, over the coming weeks. Um, But yeah, join up, uh, get involved, like, share, follow, subscribe, do all the usual social media things. Okay, on with the reading. Thanks very much, everyone. Now, before we um, get into the reading, I wanted to dedicate um, this reading to a few people. Obviously to all the new patrons, thank you very much. Uh, But it's Mother's Day in the United Kingdom, um, and for all of you uh, that know me, uh, I've got a a lovely mum who's about this big, uh, and... um, uh, unfortunately, yesterday the family dog, much beloved dog Duke, um, uh, passed away, uh, and we're all very sad in the family. And lots of people have been very kind with very kind comments about his passing. Uh, but um, I'd like to dedicate this to Duke, the fantastic dog that gave so much love and laughter and life uh, to all of us. Um, Uh, in the family I'd like to dedicate it to my mum because it's Mother's Day Um, I'd also just a little bit of a uh, a shout out I'd also like to dedicate this to my eldest son Uh, well my only son but my eldest child who's just got his second masters he's just got a a distinction a first in his second masters Um, and he's already got I think he's already cleared for his PhD Uh, (laughs) evening (laughs) mum love you 
uh, and uh, he's he, he, so yeah so lots of good things have happened as well as sad things um, but I think when when something like this happens it gives you a pause to reflect uh, and remember that life is to be enjoyed and life is to be lived to the full um, and that is certainly what uh, Duke did uh, and he uh, Duke the, the, the lovely mutt uh, gave us lots of love so um, happy Mother's Day mum uh, thank you for everything Duke and, and thank you patrons for being so supportive uh, it means the world to me I really do appreciate that so enough of that quick recap we now know that Arthur Dent is on Lamuella. He is the sandwich maker. Uh, and he's not just any old sandwich maker. He is the sandwich maker. We also have discovered that Trillian is out and about. Not just Trisha McMillan. And it appears that they're both in this universe. And Trillian is now a really big wheeze in the Tri-D pan dimensional multi-universal timeline news network kind of malarkey uh, and she's hopping backwards and forwards throughout time and she has procreated and the procreation um, product of that is random her daughter who is lost in time because basically she has done nothing but live in limbo as her mother has been sort of hopping through the space-time continuum and Trisha, or Trillian, has dumped her, rather somewhat unceremoniously, on Arthur. Because Random is basically made up of the only two human bits of DNA, separate bits of DNA in the universe, or in the galaxy certainly, and that is the Trillian and Arthur. And um, so she is a little bit confused, a little bit lost, uh, and Arthur's been doing his damnedest to try and connect um and and that's what we've got to basically so let's uh, let's pick up from there <laughs> love you mum she just said that um the comments about duke has made her cry i'm sorry that wasn't the intention anyway on we go right chapter 16 mostly harmless arthur wasn't quite certain which he noticed as being missing first. Uh, when he noticed that one wasn't there, his mind instantly leapt to the other, and he knew immediately that they were both gone, and that something insanely bad and difficult to deal with would happen as a result. Random was not there, and neither was the parcel. Oh yeah, I forgot that that had arrived, that had been posted by Ford through, yeah. He had left it up on a shelf all day, in plain view. It was an exercise in trust. He knew that one of the things he was supposed to do as a parent was to show trust in his child, to build a sense of trust and confidence into the bedrock of a relationship between them. He had had a nasty feeling that it might be an idiotic thing to do, but he did it anyway, and sure enough it had turned out to be an idiotic thing to do. You live and learn. Well, at any rate, you live. You also panic. Arthur ran out of the hut. It was the middle of the evening. The light was getting dim and a storm was brewing. He couldn't see her anywhere, nor any sign of her. He asked. No one had seen her. 
he asked again. No one else had seen her. They were going home for the night. A little wind was whipping around the edge of the village, picking things up and tossing them around in a dangerously casual manner. He found old Thrashbarg and asked him. Thrashbarg looked at him stonily, and then he pointed in the one direction that Arthur had dreaded, and therefore had instinctively known was the way she would have gone. So now he knew the worst. She had gone where she thought he would not follow her. He looked up at the sky, which was sullen, streaked and livid, and reflected that it was the sort of sky that the four horsemen of the apocalypse wouldn't feel like a bunch of complete idiots riding out of. With a heavy sense of utmost foreboding, he set off to the track that led to the forest in the next valley. The first heavy blobs of rain began to hit the ground as Arthur tried to drag himself to some sort of run. I run like that. I don't run at all. Random reached the crest of the hill and looked down into the next valley. It had been longer and harder to climb than she'd anticipated. She was a little worried that doing the trip at night was not that great an idea, but her father had been mooching around near the hut all day, trying to pretend to either her or himself that he wasn't actually guarding the parcel. At last he had to go over to the forge to talk with Strinder about the knives, and Random had seized her opportunity and done a runner with the parcel. It was perfectly clear that she couldn't just open the thing there, in the hut, or even in the village. He might have come across her at any moment, which meant that she had to go where she couldn't be followed. She could stop where she was now. She had gone this way in the hope that he wouldn't follow her, and even if he did, he would never find her up in the wooded parts of the hill, with night drawing in and the rain starting. All the way up, the parcel had been jiggling under her arm, it was a satisfyingly hunky sort of thing, a box with a square top about the length of her forearm on each side and about the length of her hand deep, wrapped up in a brown plasper with an ingenious new form of self-knotting string. It didn't rattle as she shook it, but she sensed that its weight was concentrated excitingly at the centre. Having come so far, though, there was a certain satisfaction in not stopping here, but carrying on down into what seemed to be almost a forbidden area, where her father's ship had come down. She wasn't exactly certain what the word haunted meant, but it might be fun to find out. She would keep going and save the parcel up for when she got there. It was getting darker, though, she hadn't used her tiny electric torch yet because she didn't want to be visible from a distance. She would have to use it now, but it probably didn't matter since she would be on the other side of the hill which divided the valleys from each other. She turned her torch on. Almost at the same moment, a fork of lightning ripped across the valley into which she was heading and startled her considerably. As the darkness shuddered back around her and a clap of thunder rolled out across the land, she felt suddenly rather small and lost with just a feeble pencil of light bobbing in her hand. Perhaps she should stop after all and open the parcel here. 
or maybe she should go back and come out again tomorrow. It was only a momentary hesitation, though. She knew there was no going back tonight, and sensed that there was no going back ever. She headed on down the side of the hill. The rain was beginning to pick up now. Where a short while ago it had been a few heavy blobs, it was settling in for a good pour now, hissing in the trees, and the ground was getting slippery under her feet. At least she thought it was the rain hissing in the trees. Shadows were leaping and leering at her as light bobbed through the trees. Onwards and downwards. She hurried on for another ten or fifteen minutes, soaked to the skin now and shivering, and gradually became aware that there seemed to be some other light somewhere ahead of her. She was very faint, and she wasn't certain if she was imagining it or not. She turned off her torch to see. There did seem to be some sort of dim glow ahead. She couldn't tell what it was. She turned her torch back on and continued down the hill toward whatever it was. There was something wrong with the woods, though. She couldn't immediately say what it was, but they didn't seem like sprightly, healthy woods looking forward to a good spring. The trees were lolling at sickly angles and had a sort of pallid, blighted look about them. Random more than once had the worrying sensation that they were trying to reach towards her as she passed them. But it was just a trick of the way that her light caused their shadows to flicker and lurch. Suddenly, something fell out of a tree in front of her. She leapt backwards with alarm, dropping both the torch and the box as she did so. She went down into a crouch, pulling the specially sharpened rock out of her pocket. The thing that had fallen out of the tree was moving. The torch was lying on the ground and pointing towards it, and a vast, grotesque shadow was slowly lurching through the light toward her. She could hear faint rustling and screeching noises over the steady hiss of the rain. She scrabbled on the ground for the torch, found it, and shone it directly at the creature. At the same moment, another dropped from a tree just a few feet away. She swung the torch wildly from one to another. She held her rock up, ready to throw. They were quite small, in fact. It was the angle of the light that had made them loom so large. Not only small, but small, furry, and cuddly. And there was another dropping from the trees. It fell through the beam of light, so she saw it quite clearly. It fell neatly and precisely, turned and then, like the other two, started slowly and purposefully to advance on random. She stayed rooted to the spot. She still had her rock poised and ready to throw, but was increasingly conscious of the fact that the things that she had, po she had it poised and ready to throw at were squirrels. Or at least, squirrel-like things. 
soft, warm, cuddly, squirrel-like things, advancing on her in a way that she wasn't at all certain she liked. She shone her torch directly on the first of them. It was making aggressive, hectoring, screeching noises, and carrying in one of its little fists a small, tattered piece of wet pink rag. Random hefted her rock menacingly in her hand, but it made no impression at all on the squirrel advancing on her with its wet piece of rag. She backed away. She didn't know at all how to deal with this. If they had been vicious, snarling, slavering beasts with glistening fangs, she would have pitched into them with a will. But squirrels behaving like this she couldn't quite handle. She backed away again. The second squirrel was starting to make a flanking manoeuvre around to her right, carrying a cup, some kind of acorn thing. The third was right behind it and making its own advance. What was it carrying? Some little scrap of soggy paper, Random thought. She stepped back again, caught her ankle against the root of a tree, and fell over backwards. Instantly, the first squirrel darted forward and was on top of her, advancing along her stomach with cold purpose in its eyes and a wet piece of rag in its fist. Random tried to jump up, but only managed to jump about an inch. The startled movement of the squirrel on her stomach startled her in return. The squirrel froze, gripping her skin through her soaking shirt with its tiny claws. Then, slowly, inch by inch, it made its way up her, stopped, and proffered her the rag. She felt almost hypnotised by the strangeness of the thing and its tiny glinting eyes. It proffered her the rag again. It pushed it at her repeatedly, screeching insistently. Till at last, nervously, hesitantly, she took the thing from it. It continued to watch her intently, its eyes darting all over her face. She had no idea what to do. Rain and mud were streaming down her face, and she had a squirrel sitting on her. She wiped some mud out of her eyes with the rag. The squirrel shrieked triumphantly, grabbed the rag back, leapt off her, ran scampering into the dark, enclosing night, darted up into a tree, dived into a hole in the trunk, settled back, and lit a cigarette. Meanwhile, Random was trying to fend off the squirrel with the acorn cup full of rain and the one with the paper. She shuffled backwards on her bottom. No! No! she shouted. Go away! They darted back in fright and then darted right forward again with their gifts. She brandished her rock at them. Go! she yelled. The squirrels scampered round in consternation. Then one darted straight at her, dropped the acorn cup in her lap, turned, and ran off into the night. The other stood quivering for a moment, then put its scrap of paper neatly down in front of her, and disappeared as well. She was alone again, but trembling with confusion. She got unsteadily to her feet, picked up her rock and her parcel, then paused 
and picked up the scrap of paper as well. It was so soggy and dilapidated it was hard to make out what it was. It seemed just to be a fragment of an in-flight magazine. Just as Randa was trying to understand exactly what it was that all this meant, a man walked out into the clearing in which he was standing, raised a vicious-looking gun and shot her. Arthur was thrashing around hopelessly two or three miles behind her, on the upward side of the hill. Within minutes of setting out he had gone back again and equipped himself with a lamp. Not an electric kind. The one only the only electric light in the place was the one that Random had bought with her. This was a kind of dim hurricane lamp, a perforated metal canister from Strinder's Forge, which had contained a reservoir of inflammable fish oil a wick of knotted dry grass, and was wrapped in a translucent film made from dried membranes of the gut of perfectly normal beast. It had now gone out. Arthur jiggled around with it in a thoroughly pointless kind of way for a few seconds. There was clearly no way he was going to get the thing suddenly to burst into flame again in the middle of a rainstorm, but it's impossible not to make at least a token effort. Reluctantly, he threw the thing aside. What to do? This was hopeless. He was absolutely sodden, his clothes heavy and billowing with the rain, and now he was lost in the dark as well. For a brief second he was lost in the blinding light, and then he was lost in the dark again. The sheet of lightning had at least shown him that he was very close to the brow of the hill. Once he had breasted that he would... Well, he wasn't certain what he would do. He'd have to work that out when he got there. He limped forwards and upwards. A few minutes later, he knew that he was standing, panting, at the top. There was some kind of dim glow in the distance below him. He had no idea what it was, and indeed he hardly liked to think. It was the only thing he had to make towards, though, so he started to make his way, stumbling, lost and frightened, towards it. A flash of lethal light passed straight through random, and about two seconds later, so did the man who had shot it. Other than that he paid her no attention, sorry, other than that, he paid her no attention whatsoever. He had shot someone standing behind her, and when she turned to look, he was kneeling over the body and going through its pockets. The tableau froze and vanished. It was replaced a second later by a giant pair of teeth framed by an immense and perfectly glossed pair of red lips. A huge blue brush appeared out of nowhere and started foamily to scrub at the teeth, which continued to hang there gleaming in the shimmering curtain of rain. Random blinked at it twice before she got it. It was a commercial. The guy who had shot her was part of a holographic in-flight movie. She must be now very close to where the ship had crashed. Obviously, some of its systems were more indestructible than others. The next half-mile of the journey was particularly troublesome. 
Not only did she have the cold and rain and the night to contend with, but also the fractured and thrashing remains of the ship's onboard entertainment system. Spaceships and jet cars and helipods crashed and exploded continuously around her, illuminating the night. Villainous people in strange hats smuggled dangerous drugs through her, and the combined orchestra and chorus of the Halapolis State Orchestra performed the closing march of the Anger Quantine Star Guard from Act 4 of Rizgar's Blam Wellamum of Woot in a little glade somewhere off to her left. And then she was standing on the lip of a very nasty-looking and bubbly-edged crater. There was still a faint warm glow coming from what would otherwise have looked like an enormous piece of caramelised chewing gum in the centre of the pit. The melted remains of a great spaceship. She stood looking at it for a longish while, and then, at last, started to walk along and around the edge of the crater. She was no longer certain what she was looking for, but kept moving anyway, keeping the horror of the pit to her left. The rain was beginning to ease off a little, but it was still extremely wet, and since she didn't know what it was that was in the box, whether it was perhaps something delicate or damageable, she thought she ought to find somewhere reasonably dry to open it. She hoped that she hadn't already damaged it, by dropping it. She played her torch around the surrounding trees, which were thin on the ground here, and mostly charred and broken. In the middle distance, she thought she could see a jumbled outcrop of rock which might provide some shelter, and she started to pick her way toward it. All around, she found the detritus that had been ejected from the ship as it broke up before the final fireball. After she had moved two or three hundred yards from the edge of the crater, she came across the tattered fragments of some fluffy pink material, sodden, mudded and drooping amongst the broken trees. She guessed correctly that this must be the remains of the escape cocoon that had saved her father's life. She went and looked at it more closely, and then noticed something close to it on the ground, half covered in mud. She picked it up and wiped the mud off it. It was some kind of electronic device the size of a small book. Feebly glowing on its cover, in response to her touch, were some large, friendly letters. They said, Don't panic. She knew what this was. This was her father's copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. She felt instantly reassured by it, turned her head up to the thundery sky and let some rain wash over her face and into her mouth. She shook her head and hurried on towards the rocks. Clambering up and over them, she almost immediately found the perfect thing. The mouth of a cave. She played her torch into its interior. It seemed to be dry and safe. Picking her way carefully, she walked in. It was quite spacious, but it didn't go that deep. Exhausted and relieved, she sat on a convenient rock, put the box down in front of her, 
and started immediately to open it. Quick slap of tea. Okay, onwards. For a long period of time, there was much speculation and controversy about where the so-called missing matter of the universe had got to. All over the galaxy, the science departments of all the major universities were acquiring more and more elaborate equipment to probe and search the hearts of distant galaxies, and then the very centre and very edges of the whole universe. But when eventually it was tracked down, it turned out in fact to be all the stuff which the equipment had been packed in. There was quite a large quantity of missing matter in the box, little soft round white pellets of missing matter, which random discarded for future generations of physicists to track down and discover all over again once the findings of the current generation of physicists had been lost and forgotten about. One of the pellets of missing matter she lifted out of the sorry out of the pellets of missing matter she lifted the featureless black disc. She put it down on a rock beside her and sifted amongst all the missing matter to see if there was anything else inside. A manual, or some attachments, or something. But there was nothing else at all, just the black disc. She shone the torch on it. As she did so, cracks began to appear along its apparently featureless surface. Random backed away nervously, but then saw the thing whatever it was, was merely unfolding itself. The process was wonderfully beautiful. It was extraordinarily elaborate, but also simple and elegant. It was like a piece of self-opening origami, or a rosebud blooming into a rose in just a few seconds, where just a few moments earlier there had been a smoothly curved black disc. There was now a bird, a bird hovering there. Random continued to back away from it carefully and watchfully. It was a little like a picker bird, only rather smaller. That is to say, in fact, it was larger, or to be more exact, precisely the same size, or at least not less than twice the size. It was also both a lot bluer and a lot pinker than picker birds, while at the same time being perfectly black. There was also something very odd about it, which Random couldn't immediately make out. It certainly shared with picker birds the impression that it gave that it was watching something you couldn't see. And suddenly it vanished. Then, just as suddenly, everything went black. Random dropped into a tense crouch, feeling for the specially sharpened rock in her pocket again. And then the blackness receded and rolled itself up into a ball, and then the blackness was the bird again. It hung in the air in front of her, beating its wings slowly and staring at her. "'Excuse me,' it said suddenly. "'I just have to calibrate myself. Can you hear me when I say this?' "'When you say what?' demanded Random. "'Oh, good,' said the bird. "'And can you hear me when I say this?' It spoke this time at a much higher pitch. Yeah, "'Yes, of course I can,' said Random. "'And can you hear me when I say this?' 
it said, this time in a sepulchry deep voice, Yes! Then there was a pause. No, obviously not, said the bird after a few seconds. Good. Well, your hearing range is obviously between 20 and 16 kilohertz. So, is this comfortable for you? It said in a light, pleasant tenor. No uncomfortable harmonics screeching away in the upper register? Obviously not. Good. I can use those as data channels. Now, how many of me can you see? Suddenly, the air was filled with nothing but interlocking birds. Random was well used to spending time in virtual realities, but this was something far weirder than anything she had previously encountered. It was as if the whole geometry of space was redefined in seamless bird shapes. Random gasped and flung her arms around her face, her arms moving through bird-shaped space. Hmm, obviously way too many, said the bird. How about now? It concertinaed into a tunnel of birds, as if it was a bird caught between parallel mirrors reflecting infinitely into the distance. "'What are you?' shouted Random. "'We'll come to that in a minute,' said the bird. "'Just just, just how many, please?' "'Well, you're sort of—' Random gestured helplessly off into the distance. "'Ah, I see. Still infinite in extent, but at least we're homing in on the right dimensional matrix. Good. No, the answer is an orange and two lemons.' "'Lemons?' If I have three lemons and three oranges and I lose two oranges and a lemon, what do I have left? Huh? Oh, okay, so you think that time flows that way, do you? Interesting. Am I still infinite? It asked, ballooning this way and that in space. Am I infinite now? How, how yellow am I? Moment by moment... Um, sorry... <laughs> Moment by moment, the bird was going through mind-mangling transformations of shape and extent. "'I can't,' said Random, bewildered. "'You don't have to answer. I can tell from watching you now. "'So, am I your mother? Am I a rock? Do I seem huge, squishy, and sinuously intertwined? "'No. How about now? Am I going backwards?' "'For once the bird was perfectly still and steady. "'No,' said Random. Ah, well, I was, in fact. I was moving backwards in time. Hmm. Well, I think we've all sorted all that out now. If you'd like to know, I can tell you that in your universe you move freely in three dimensions that you call space. If you move, uh, you move in a straight line in a fourth, which you call time, and stay rooted to one place in a fifth, which is the first fundamental of probability. After that, it gets a bit complicated, and there's all sorts of stuff going on in dimensions 13 to 22 that you really wouldn't want to know about. All you really need to know for the moment is that the universe is a lot more complicated than you might think, even if you start from a position of thinking it's pretty damn complicated in the first place. I can easily not say words like damn if it offends you. Say what you damn well like. I will. What the hell are you? demanded Random. I am the guide. In your universe, I am your guide. In fact, I inhabit what is technically known as the whole sort of general mishmash, which means, well, let me show you. It turned in midair and swooped out of the cave and then perched on a rock just beneath an overhang, out of the rain, which was getting heavier again. Come on, it said, watch this. Random did not like being bossed around by a bird, but she followed it to the mouth of the cave anyway, still fingering the rock in her pocket. "'Rain?' said the bird. "'You see, just rain.' 
I know what rain is. Sheets of the stuff were sweeping through the night, moonlight sifting through it. So what is it? What, what do you mean, what is it? Look, who are you? What were you doing in that box? Why have I spent a night running through the forest, fending off demented squirrels, to find that all I've got at the end of it is a bird asking me what rain is? It's just water falling through the bloody air, that's what it is. Anything else you want to know, or can we go home now? There was a long pause before the bird answered. You want to go home? I haven't got a home! Random almost shocked herself, she screamed the words so loudly. Look into the rain, said the bird guide. I'm looking into the rain. What else is there to look at? What do you see? What do you mean, you stupid bird? I just see a load of rain. It's just water falling. What shapes do you see in the water? Shapes? There aren't any shapes. It's just... it's ju just a mishmash, said the bird guide. Yes. Now what do you see? Just on the very edge of visibility, a thin, faint beam fanned out of the bird's eyes. In the dry area beneath the overhang there was nothing to see. Where the beam hit the drops of rain as they fell through it, there was a flat sheet of light, so bright and vivid it seemed solid. <coughs> oh, great! A laser show! said random fractiously. Never seen one of those before, of course, except at about five million rock concerts. Tell me what you see. Just a flat sheet, stupid bird. There's nothing that wasn't there before. I'm just using light to draw your attention to certain drops at certain moments. Now, what do you see? The light shut off. Nothing. I'm doing exactly the same thing, but with ultraviolet light. You can't see it. So, what is the point of showing me something I can't see? So that you understand that just because you see something, it doesn't mean to say it's there. And if you don't see something, it doesn't mean to say it's not there. It's only what your senses bring to your attention. I'm bored with this, said Random, and then gasped. Hanging in the rain was a giant and very vivid three-dimensional image of her father looking startled about something. About two miles away, behind Random, her father, struggling his way through the woods, suddenly stopped. He was startled to see an image of himself looking startled about something hanging brightly in the rain-filled air about two miles away. About two miles away, some distance to the right of the direction in which he was heading. He was almost completely lost, convinced he was going to die of cold and wet and exhaustion and beginning to wish he could just get on with it. He had just been bought and he had just been bought an entire golfing magazine by a squirrel, and his brain was beginning to howl 
and jibber. Seeing a huge bright image of himself light up the sky told him that on balance he was probably right to howl and jibber, but probably wrong as far as the direction as he was heading in. Taking a deep breath, he turned and headed off towards the inexplicable light show. Okay, so what is that supposed to prove? demanded Random. It was the fact that the image was her father that had startled her rather than the appearance of the image itself. She had seen her first hologram when she was two months old and had been put in it to play. She had seen her most recent one about half an hour ago playing the march of the Angequantine Star Guard. Only that it's no more there or not there than the sheet was, said the bird. It's just the interaction of water from the sky moving in one direction with light at frequencies your senses can detect moving in another. It makes an apparently solid image in your head. But it's all just images in the mishmash. Here's another one for you. My mother, said Random. No, said the bird. I know my mother when I see her. The image was of a woman emerging from a spacecraft inside a large grey hangar-like building. She was being escorted by a group of tall, thin, purplish-green creatures. It was definitely Random's mother. Well, almost definitely. Trillian wouldn't have been walking quite so uncertainly in low gravity, or looking around her at a boring old life-support environment with quite such a disbelieving look on her face, or carrying such a quaint old camera. So, who is it? demanded Random. She is a part of the extent of your mother on the probability axis, said the bird guide. I haven't the first idea of what you mean. Space, time and probability all have axes along which it is possible to move. Still, don't know. Though I think... No, explain. I thought you wanted to go home. Explain! Would you like to see your home? See it? It was destroyed. It is discontinuous along the probability axis. Look. Something very strange and wonderful now swam into view in the rain. It was a huge, bluish-greenish globe, misty and cloud-covered, turning with majestic slowness against a black, starry background. Now you see it, said the bird. Now you don't. A little less than two miles away now, Arthur Dent stood still in his tracks. He could not believe what he could see, hanging there, shrouded in rain, but brilliantly and vividly real against the night sky. The earth. He gasped at the sight of it, and then, at the moment he gasped, it disappeared again. Then it appeared again. Then, and this was the bit that made him give up and stick straws in his hair, it turned into a sausage. Random was also startled by the sight of this huge blue and green and watery and misty sausage hanging above her, and now it was a string of sausages, 
rather it was a string of sausages in which many of the sausages were missing. The whole brilliant string turned and spun in a bewildering dance in the air, and then gradually slowed, grew insubstantial, and faded into the glistening, glistening darkness of the night. "'What was that?' asked Random, in a small voice. "'A glimpse along the probability axis of a discontinuously probable object.' I see. Most objects mutate and change along their axis of probability, but the world of your origin does something slightly different. It lies on what you might call a fault line in the landscape of probability, which means that at many probability coordinates the whole of it simply ceases to exist. It has an inherent instability, which is typical of anything that lies within what are usually designated as the plural sectors. Make sense? No? Want to go and see for yourself? To Earth? Yes. Is that possible? The bird guide did not answer at once. It spread its wings and, with an easy grace, ascended into the air and flew out into the rain, which once again was beginning to lighten. It soared ecstatically up into the night sky. Lights flashed around it. Dimensions dithered in its wake. It swooped and turned and looped and turned again and came at last to rest two feet in front of Random's face, its wings beating slowly and silently. It spoke to her again. Your universe is vast to you. Vast in time, vast in space. That's because of the filters through which you perceive it. But I was built with no filters at all, which means I perceive the mishmash which contains all possible universes, but which has itself no size at all. For me, anything is possible. I am omniscient and omnipotent, extremely vain, and what is more, I come in a handy self-carrying package. You have to work out how much of the above is true. A slow smile spread over Random's face. You bloody little thing, you've been winding me up. As I said, anything is possible. Random laughed. Okay, she said, let's try and go to Earth. Let's go to Earth at some point on its, um, probability axis? Yes, where it hasn't been blown up. Okay, so you're the guide. How do we get a lift? Reverse engineering. What? Reverse engineering. To me, the flow of time is irrelevant. You decide what you want. I then merely make sure that it has already happened. You're joking. Anything is possible. Random frowned. You are joking, aren't you? Let me put it another way said the bird. Reverse engineering enables us to shortcut all the business of waiting for one of the horribly few spaceships that passes through your galactic sector every year or so to make up its mind about whether it not whether or not it feels like make, giving you a lift. You want a lift? A ship arrives and gives you one. 
The pilot may think he has any one, one of a million reasons as to why he has decided to stop and pick you up. The real reason is that I have determined that he will. This is you being extremely vain, isn't it, little bird? The bird was silent. Okay, said Random. I want a ship to take me to Earth. Will this one do? It was so silent that Random had not noticed that the descending ship so had not noticed the descending ship until it was nearly on top of her. Arthur had noticed it. He was a mile away now and closing. Just after the illuminated sausage display had drawn to its conclusion, he had noticed the faint glimmerings of further lights coming down out of the clouds, and had, to begin with, assumed it to be another piece of flashy sonne lumiere. It took a moment or two for it to dawn on him that it was an actual spaceship, and a moment or two longer for him to realise that it was dropping directly down to where he assumed his daughter to be. That was when, rain or no rain, leg injury or no leg injury, darkness or no darkness, he suddenly started to really run. He fell almost immediately, slid and hurt his knee quite badly on a rock. He slithered back up onto his feet and tried again. He had a horrible cold feeling that he was about to lose random forever. Limping and cursing, he ran. He didn't know what it was that had been in the box, but the name on it had been Ford Prefect, and that was the name he cursed as he ran. The ship was one of the sexiest and most beautiful ones that Random had ever seen. It was astounding. Silver, sleek, ineffable. She didn't know better... If she didn't know better, she would have said it was an RW-6. As it settled silently beside her, she realised that it actually was an RW-6, and she could scarcely breathe for the excitement. An RW-6 was the sort of thing you only saw in the sort of magazines that were designed to provoke civil unrest. She was also extremely nervous. The manner and timing of its arrival was deeply unsettling. Either it was the most bizarre coincidence, or something very peculiar and worrying was going on. She waited a little, tensely, for the ship's hatch to open. Her guide, she thought of it as hers now, was hovering lightly over her right shoulder, its wings barely fluttering. The hatch opened just a little dim light escaped. A moment or two passed, and a figure emerged. He stood still for a moment or so, obviously trying to accustom his eyes to the darkness. Then he caught sight of Random standing there, and seemed a little surprised. He started to walk towards her. Then, suddenly, he shouted in surprise, and started to run at her. Random was not a good person to take a run at on a dark night when she was feeling a little strung out. She had unconsciously been fingering the rock in her pocket from the moment she saw the craft coming down. Still running, slithering, hurtling, bumping into trees, Arthur saw at last that he was too late. 
The ship had only been on the ground for about three minutes, and now, silently, gracefully, it was rising up above the trees, again, turning smoothly in the fine speckle of rain to which the storm had now abated, climbing, climbing, tipping up its nose, and suddenly, effortlessly, hurtling up through the clouds. Gone. Random was in it. It was impossible for Arthur to know this, but he just went ahead and knew it anyway. She was gone. He had had his stint at being a parent, and could scarcely believe how badly he had done at it. He tried to continue running, but his feet were dragging. His knee was hurting like fury, and he knew he was too late. He could not conceive that he could feel more wretched and awful than this. But he was wrong. He limped his way at last to the cave where Random had sheltered and opened the box. The ground bore the indentations of the spacecraft that had landed there only minutes before, but of Random there was no sign. He wandered disconsolately into the cave, found the empty box and piles of missing matter pellets strewn about the place. He felt a little cross about that. He tried to teach her about cleaning up after herself. Feeling a bit cross about her, about something like that, helped him feel less desolate about her leaving. He knew he had no means of finding her. His foot knocked against something unexpected. He bent down to pick it up, and was thoroughly surprised to find out what it was. It was his old Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. How did that come to be in the cave? He'd never returned to collect it from the scene of the crash. He'd not wanted to revisit the crash, and he had not wanted the guide again. He had reckoned he was here on Lamuella, making sandwiches for good. How did it come to be in the cave? It was active. The words on the cover flashed, Don't panic, at him. He went out of the cave again into the dim and damp moonlight. He sat on a rock to have a look through the old guide, and then discovered it wasn't a rock. It was a person. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we will leave it for this evening. I know! On a cliffhanger like that! I'm so wicked. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Jolly good. Thank you, as always, everybody, for coming along for the ride and for listening to this evening's reading. We will continue next week. Same ply? Same plime? Okay, that was a combination of place and time. <clears throat> same time, same place. Uh, 2100 CET on Sunday um, and in the intervening week if you can be good enough to go over to patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit it is it's 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 oh, I always get this wrong here it's on the screen there patreon www.patreon.com forward slash the bearded wit and become a patron from five dollars a month um, to help me keep this all all this stuff going, I would be immensely grateful. Um, 
look after yourselves have a great week um don't do anything silly um do lots of lovely things be good to yourself be lovely to the people around you um and i will see you next week thanks a lot everyone take care bye now